everybody talks about centralization as if it's this destination that everyone's trying to get to. And I'm not that convinced of that at this point. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. Welcome, friends, to this special investigative episode of the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing, and I'm so excited to be with you guys today. So if you're like me and you've attended conferences or you follow any kind of industry news, the headlines have us believing that centralization is the way of the future. In fact, it's the only way. But I wanted to really peel back the curtain and say, is in fact centralization the way that our entire industry is going? Are we just seeing these headlines and accepting them as facts? Or is there a lot really happening behind the surface? So my guest today is Dom Beveridge. He's the publisher of 20 for 20. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to subscribe at 20for20.com. Every year in 20 for 20, Dom researches and interviews industry operators to really find out the truth behind the trends. And as a truth seeker, he shares what he's seeing today to be facts. Now, the reason I wanted to do this, there is actually a psychological phenomenon and it's called, I want to just make sure I get this right. It's the illusory truth effect. And it says that it arises when we use familiarity and ease of understanding as a shorthand for truth. And according to psychologists, the more that we see something like a headline, the more that we believe that it is true. Now, I'm not saying that these headlines are lying to us. I'm just wondering if there are some biases to making us think that this is the only way. Is centralization truly the way of multifamily housing? Is it the best way? If there's any concern that Dom is going into his research with a sort of tunnel vision, you'll really like how he starts our conversation. What is his favorite part of the 20 for 20 reporting? I think my favorite part of the experience of publishing 20 for 20 is that every year I find there's at least one thing that I'm thinking about the wrong way. There are 20 people I interview before I interview any of them. There's a different group of people who I work with to figure out what I'm going to ask. So the questions aren't quite the same from one year to the next. So that means you, you've got some ideas in your head about what you think people are going to tell you. Um, and each year you find that you're quite wrong about the way that you were thinking about stuff. And that's cool because that means you're learning new stuff. What would those things be? What was it going to be for this year? Those things that maybe Dom had been thinking about differently than what the research would actually show. Each of the last two years, I've been trying to get into get to the bottom of centralization and what people are are actually doing and i this year i had completely underestimated just how big of a gap there is between the sort of technology stuff that people are doing and the actual moving of jobs from property to somewhere else you think if you listen to people talking a lot about centralization you think those are the same thing and the thing i really realized is they aren't at all Centralization really means a different thing depending on who you're talking to about it. And yeah, I guess my own framing of that was probably a bit closer to the industry narrative before I started talking to people. I have very different views on it having completed that that research. Did we get this wrong from the beginning? Is the word centralization really the right word for what's happening in our industry? 
But you hear that a lot. A lot of people say it's actually not that helpful to think of it as, as centralization because if we think about centralization as taking roles that we traditionally do at property and doing them somewhere else. That's the sort of broadened description of it. Where most of that is going on is not in leasing, which is what people talk about the most. It's in admin. It's taking accounting and rent collection and late payments and move in, move out in admin. It's taking those things off property. A lot of companies are, are doing that, but d does it help to call that centralization? If I took accounting and moved it to shared services, like lots and lots of companies do, is, is it even helpful to think about that as centralization? Because you've got lots of companies that are doing that, but they've still got the same number of people working in the property. So they didn't physically move anybody anywhere. We already have words for that in business. We call it shared services and, and things like that. So does it even help for us to think about this as centralization? To press down a bit on a centralization definition that maybe the whole industry can agree on. But first, he really highlights what an unsatisfactory definition of centralization is. There's an argument that says that anytime you roll out a digital leasing system or a CRM that's prospect centric, or you do any of those things that like supports centralization, like I guess vendors of those technologies would argue that's centralization. For me, that feels quite unsatisfactory as a, as a description. If, because if, if you haven't changed anything about the way that your property is running, besides the fact that we've taken some of the jobs that we have leasing agents do, and we've moved them to a central location, that's a pretty, I mean, it's cool, the technology, but it, it's quite a timid thing to do in terms of changing your organization. So what is centralization really? Can we get to the bottom of it? My threshold is you have to be taking a role off property and putting it somewhere more central, either regional or central central. That's uh, that would be my definition. If you're like me, you hear the word centralized leasing and you think, well, that has to mean that the role of the leasing professional is the one that's being addressed. But is that really the case? So the where I'm seeing it the most, definitely based on the set of interviews, it's very clearly the assistant property manager role. That's the one that, so that that's the one where a that kind of work lends itself to being moved to shared services. In business, in in general, we we do accounting stuff centrally, we do back office stuff centrally, so it lends itself to that. And the more you see it, the more I think it it seems to a lot of operators that it was never that good of an idea to have that property done, that work done on property in the first place, right? No, nobody, nobody who was going to move out decides to renew because of that great end of month financials experience that they had. Also just from an, an associate experience perspective, if you've got like a prominent leasing professional, their path to being a community manager goes via bookkeeping. That doesn't make that much sense, right? So there's lots of things that are probably just better done in a more central location. When you talk to companies that are, that are doing it as well, there are people in properties that are just good at stuff like that, right? They're good at doing the accounting part and they actually have a better career experience if you say, do the accounting for this cluster of properties from a central location. So there is a sort of win-win to be had as well by, by reorganizing that. I feel quite strongly that if, look, if I were going to try and centralize leasing, right, and there's, there's lots of good reasons to make leasing more, more central, right? I'm a revenue management guy, so I've always noticed this problem that we have in multifamily, which is if you've got a really good leasing agent at a property, their reward for being really successful in closing lots of leases is you no longer have any vacant units to sell. <laughs> So you can't make any more money. That's that's a very perverse set of incentives. So to 
to say, we're going to take a few properties and we're going to share leasing agents between them. And when I filled that property, I can focus on this one instead. That's a much smarter use of use of resources. And, and also something that you could imagine helps us to hang on to like our leasing talent for longer. These are roles that tend to turn over a lot. But if you make the jobs better and you give people a better earning potential, then your good agents are going to stay longer at your companies. But anyway, so there are really good reasons to centralize leasing. But I think if I were going to try to do it, I would start by centralizing admin roles. Because I think admin is not going to be as hard to do. as Leasing is very high touch, right, still. So a lot can go wrong with centralizing leasing. A lot can go wrong with centralizing anything. But I feel like in order of difficulty, like probably admin is the easiest, then leasing, and then maintenance is probably the hardest. And I, I, so I would go in that order. I think you would be likelier to be successful in centralizing leasing operations if you first started by looking at the, the APM role. I was curious, out of the 20 interviewed in the 20 for 20, how many really had made a step or made a leap in the centralized leasing model, the true centralized leasing? There were only like three out of 20 people had actually made any meaningful progress on centralizing leasing out, out, out of the people I interviewed. But I think all of them had already done the APM role before they started changing the leasing model. And I think that's how I will probably do it. Don brings up a really interesting point about how most multifamily operators approach business, which might be the key in solving why centralized leasing hasn't happened in the first place. In multifamily, like it's a real estate business, which means there are a lot of things in multifamily where you can see this vestige of people think about the asset first, they think about this building and they think about the pro forma and the PL of this building and the ideas about how to operate it emanate out from there. It's not the case that people have thought about it the way that like Amazon would have thought about e-commerce or something where it's just like, okay, how should this work? What's the right way for this to, to work? It's much more, who do I need to run this box for me? <laughs> and so you, you end up with this coverage model because that just tends to be the bias of the way people think about it in a very real estate driven business. We'll be right back to the episode shortly. But first, I want to talk to you if you're the point person for the marketing of all the communities in your company. Company. So if everything filters through you, we've actually created a very special membership called the point person membership. So think a centralized hub that you can log into inside of that hub, you'll find thousands of pre-done marketing and retention templates and social graphics that you can then open and customize in your free Canva account for those different communities. So think outreach marketing flyers, locator flyers, floor plan flyers, renewals, retention, social graphics, Instagram templates. The possibilities are really endless. Now, this membership is not for everyone. In fact, you have to actually apply to be a part of this membership. You can go to multifamilytogether.com to fill out a form. And once you fill out that form, one of our team members will reach out to schedule a time to have a conversation to see if this is the right membership for you. So go to multifamilytogether.com. Now back to the episode. The more and more that Dom and I spoke on centralized leasing, my mind started really putting the pieces together of owner operators that I've known for years who have taken out traditional roles that typically are on site, pulled them to a central location, and they've operated this way from the beginning. So are they the ones that truly are ahead of this trend that maybe has been around a lot longer than we think? But many of the most innovative things in those portfolios where there are a lot of smaller properties or in single family, because they don't, they've never 
had we've got this 300 unit box where we have to cover it with a certain number of stuff they've never the thinking never started at that point they had to think about things in in different ways because they they don't have coverage model because the properties are smaller so lots of the more interesting innovations that you see come from come from companies like that yeah you've got some you've just got some flexibility to to think about it in other ways than i have to have one person doing this thing at this property so who are having the best success as they move to a more centralized leasing model? It all comes down to another word that we're familiar with, experience. The people who seem to be making the most progress with just with the centralization initiatives in general do seem to me to be the ones that are thinking about it in terms of what experience I want to deliver then informs a bunch of things about what kinds of technologies they want to use and what they're ultimately going to ask their people to do. If you're not following the centralization model, you have no plans of it. Does that mean you're getting left behind, that you have nothing cool to offer, that you're not staying ahead with the latest trends? Everybody talks about centralization as if it's this destination that everyone's trying to get to. And I'm not that convinced of that at this point. I think there's lots of companies for whom that's a fit, but there's also, I, the other thing that really surprised me is the number of people that just are not working on this at all. And it's not because they're slow or they want everyone else to do it first. It's because they just don't think this is a high priority thing for their business. So we're really pulling back the curtain here. We're seeing that really there are many out there that are not moving to a centralized model. In fact, they have no plans of it. Listen as Dom tells a telling story. I had lunch with an owner here in, in Houston. Then we went and walked one of his properties, like beautiful property, re really nice upscale property uh, here in the city. And it just struck me afterwards. We, we spent like an hour talking about what he was doing, particularly with like the technology related stuff. Like he's doing some really interesting things, imaginative things with his properties. We walked one of his properties and it just occurred to me at no point did we talk about centralization. At no point did we talk about changing staffing models. And, and having gone through the gamut of the stuff that, that this guy is working on, it, it was just like, ah, okay, this is clearly not a high priority thing. And the other thing was when I was walking around that, that property, I just noticed the interaction of the staff with the groups of, that had this beautiful sort of hotel style like lobby where there's lots of like meetings going on and stuff. I was just looking around saying, if you took the staff out of this property, that would definitely not improve this experience. It, it definitely wouldn't. So I wanted to know, where does Dom land on the issue? Is centralization the way of the future? Is it the superior way? I, I can see lots of benefit in some of the models that you see where we're designing properties to run with no staff or very few staff. But I, I definitely don't think that's the one-size-fits-all formula for staffing models across the industry. Generally, I think specialization should be for everybody, right? It's just this fundamental economic concept that wherever a job can be done the most effectively, that's where it should be done, right? So if that means taking things like finance offsite, it means that it can be done more efficiently and it means it makes more sense from a career perspective for the individual properties that you're running. I think stuff like that should be for everybody. If you're like me, this statement really hits home. While centralization may not be for everyone, everyone really should be thinking about specialization. When I think about leasing, again, it's really to do with the, the experience that you want to deliver. I think leasing should be as tech enabled as possible, but I also know that 
people sometimes buy tech and don't really get the benefits out of it. So the ones that do tend to have the most clear-eyed view of what it is they're trying to improve about their business. So you should be trying to make your leasing as responsive, as prospect-centric, and as, just as effective as you, as you possibly can. Whether that means you're centralizing roles or not is a completely separate question. So why has centralization been easier for some than others? What do the early adopters have in common? So the people who adopt it the earliest tend to be people who have two things. One, they have control over their environment, right? So they get to make all their own decisions about technology and such. And they tend to have high density in some markets, right? Centralization, particularly for roles like maintenance and leasing, entail having people move from property to property. So you need properties that are close enough together that it's feasible to share resources between them and you need to have control, which is why people like the REITs tend to be at the forefront of these kinds of innovations. Those, they're the companies for whom those are the most prevalent conditions. What does this mean for our third-party managers? Is there opportunity or are their hands really tied together when it comes to centralization? When I think about third-party management, that's a, a very different ball of wax, right? Because... I might have a hundred properties in a market, but that those hundred properties might constitute 15 different owners. So what we know about multifamily is it's impossible to get multiple companies to walk in lockstep, right? So if I'm a fee manager, I've either got an owner coming to me, asking me to help figure out how they can centralize more of the stuff between their deals in a particular market, or if I'm smart, I'm trying to get in front of this. I'm thinking about it more in terms of the centralization that I could effectively sell to one property at a time. Like if I rolled this out at one property, are there still benefits that make it worth doing? I, I think the most interesting examples that I've seen on the third party management side are where you can see operators starting to put together like menus of services. So when you're staffing a new deal or when you're taking over a property, you can say, all right, we can staff this tr- the traditional way. Or you you, you can move these functions to our shared services and here's the per month price associated with each one. So again, the the, the idea is not that I have to do what Camden's doing or what UDR is doing. They're not looking at it that way. They're thinking about it in terms of what stuff could you just take off property and put into a center. What that means then is you give an optionality to the people who are going to use your services. And I think from a third party perspective, that's got to become a more and more important differentiator if I'm bidding for fee management business. Centralization as a potential differentiator for third-party fee managers. Interesting. One of the challenges you've got with third-party management is once everybody's bought into a pro forma for a property, you've really got this inertia where you know, it, 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 there has to be a really big incentive to, to change from what you've done. Because everyone's agreed roughly what the cost structure is for this property. Therefore, if I think there are dollars to be saved or dollars to be made, it's it's my job to go pursue that. But again, if it's a third-party management ownership arrangement, and we've all agreed what it what the cost is of uh, delivering that service, yeah, it's, it would have to be a really attractive opportunity for everyone to go change the plan. Whereas if people are increasingly taking over properties and this becomes something that they can use as a differentiator, right? If I if I'm competing against someone where 
the only way that they staff stuff is using the legacy model. Whereas I'm now talking to an institutional investor who wants to figure out ways to improve efficiency in the way that like the REITs are talking about. If I give you a bunch of palatable, like baby steps to some centralization and, and here's what it costs, here's where you sign kind of thing. I, I, yeah, I just don't see how that doesn't become a bigger and bigger thing in, in fee management. The conversation now takes a turn to our supplier partners. And if you're following any of the headlines or threads on LinkedIn, many of our supplier partners are now offering services, or they have been, that are labeled under centralization. So what do suppliers need to know as they approach operators? The biggest opportunity I see is for suppliers to just understand better what's actually going on at properties. I'm very big on trying to force vendors to, to think of why people buy their stuff. Like people just routinely get this wrong. They think about the ROI, they think about the bottom line. It's very seldom the thing that makes people buy products, right? The thing that makes people buy products is you do something that's consistent with the things that they think improve their business, right? So the more you try and understand what those things are, the better you're going to be at being relevant to your customers. There's this fundamental misunderstanding that because I'm trying to change my staffing model, that must mean that I'm trying to cut staff. Like in reality, like nobody's, I've never, I've talked to many people about this specific problem. I've never heard anyone say, oh, we've got to cut this bloated FTE budget for maintenance. What you do hear all the time is it's really hard to be fully staffed in maintenance right now. So I'm interested in any changes to process and technology that give me flexibility in that model. But do you see how vendors often, they get it contorted into these, these ideas that map to numbers that they can put in a spreadsheet and they just go completely off down the wrong path in terms of what they talk about to property management companies. We've heard a lot of interesting facts when it comes to centralization. So what can we say? What are the biggest misconceptions? What is the end of it all? The idea that people are all going to move to these centralized models, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think most of the benefits, like if we really try to get to the why of why people are doing it, they're not doing this stuff because they primarily want to have centralized operations. They're doing it because they want a particular experience and aspects of that experience are just better served by some technologies that happen to be centralized. Centralization bit isn't the main thing. It's a piece of the main thing. But we're latching onto that as being the story when the real story is much more about how should leasing work. Dom chuckles when I say that we've got the main character in the story wrong, but it looks like we do. I yes. <laughs> yes. If there were two bells of the ball at the conferences we've attended so far this year, it definitely would be centralization here and AI here. And there's a lot of talk about how they're going to impact each other. Dom has a lot of thoughts on this. In fact, this isn't the first time that he's talked about it. I think they're very interconnected. It's one of the things I wrote about in 2020 this year is that, by the way, literally everything you say about AI feels like it's going to be obsolete in about six weeks that we weren't talking about at AIM, which was like a month earlier and had loads of sessions about AI. It feels like the sort of way of the world at the moment. But the thing that I pointed out at the beginning of this year when I was writing up um, 2020 is that pe people seem to be inclined to think about AI in terms of doing jobs that I'm already familiar with, right? So when we think about things like digital leasing assistance, right, there's technology out there that was very explicitly designed, funded, incubated, et cetera, to solve the problem of how do we support a more centralized leasing team? 
but most people who use it, nearly all of the people who implement it now are basically simply using it to turn the phones off at properties. They haven't changed the staffing model at all, but now they've got this thing that means that we don't miss calls anymore and it, it takes work off the plate of leasing staff and so on. It's like, I'm sure there's benefit in that and maybe there's enough benefit that makes it makes it worth doing. But it's interesting, that wasn't really the problem it was designed to solve in the first place. The problem it was designed to solve was we want to reimagine leasing so that it's a more centralized function that's built on this foundation of AI that's handling most of the inbound, inbound inquiries and, and nurturing. Because people tend to think about it in terms of phone answering being something that we do at Property, if AI can do that for us, great, that's a value add. And you can see more and more different applications, right? You have AI that just runs the nurture track for, for marketing. You have AI that does collections. And one way, if you continue to look at it in terms of we're going to take the property management sort of structure and approach as a given. And now we're going to think about the AI in terms of what work it can take off the plate of this property team. It, the problems just end up getting smaller and smaller. It's a very limited way to think of something as powerful as AI. So is there a better way to think of AI? The best way to think about it is if we took the example of collections, a really cool uh, idea is to say, we're going to take late rent payment and collections, we're going to take all of that off property. We're going to have an AI that does most of the work. And then we want to think about what do we need the humans to do in this in, in this environment? Okay, we need people to supervise. We need people to pick up the phone and when a conversation needs to be had, need people to make some decisions. Um, that then gets you to a, to a point where you're way more efficient. It's more effective. You've taken away work that nobody really enjoyed doing anyway. And you should put leverage into your model as, a, as an operator, right? Because I, I don't need quite so many people if AI is doing a big chunk of work versus if it's just doing a, a small scope of work at the, at the property. So anyway, my, my general thing was people should think more about it in terms of if we think AI can do collections, let's think about the entire scope of what AI can do. And then let's reimagine what the people do rather than looking at it the other way around. Recently shared an email to his subscribers outlining how AI could potentially be used to visualize data. The idea was something I wanted to dig into further. Yeah, so, so the visualization, so I was writing about a session that's a really good session that was about data visualization. It was Brent Steiner from Ingram was talking about, so yeah, there, there is this fact that you make decisions something like 60,000 times faster if, if you're looking at a visual versus if you, and it makes sense. Like the, you can see, I, I spoke to a bunch of people about what they were doing with business intelligence. I saw a lot of stuff in that session. And it's very easy for people who are using tools like that to just immediately say, oh, well, when we looked at the building in terms of the stack and the floor, like suddenly we saw that this list of problems, they all take place in one place. So now we know something about what the source of the problem is. Like we, we know that there's some leak high up in the, in, in the building that we didn't realize before. We know that these longstanding vacant units happen to be at the outer reaches of the tour path that we, that we do. Like, so you have all these things that make completely intuitive sense when you look at them on a, on an interactive map. But, but if you were just looking at a list of like longstanding vacants or of maintenance requests or something, you would very easily completely miss the, the main driver of, of that thing. And hence the solution. I've heard so many different people talk about AI and it's applications, but I really like how Dom refers to it as a data analysis tool. Listen in. It really helps to think about ChatGPT as a data analysis tool, right? We tend to think about it in terms of, oh, it writes stuff, right? And so it can do like the writing jobs for me. Sometimes that's going to be true and sometimes it isn't. 
Yeah, Mike's got some brilliant use cases that he's come up with. But again, what, what, when I listen to him talking about them, it, what he's really done is figured out data analysis problems that happen to, to be producing content. Go read all of the reviews for this market and figure out the list of things that correlates to your know, high review scores and write a web page about that. That kind of problem is a really smart way to use the, uh, to use the tool. Just getting it to write stuff for you, like it's frequently a bad idea because ultimately, even if it's able to do really good prose, it's still just reprocessing stuff that's already out there on the, um, on the web. So, so for me, where basically everything I write is some new idea about something, I can't get ChatGPT to do what I do. I can get it to do parts of it, right? I can get it to clean up my messy first drafts and things I can, but figuring out what leverage it gives me, like how it enables me to do more stuff than I would do without it. Like that seems to me to be a good way to think about it. When I wanted to pull back the veil on the truth behind the trends of centralization and AI, I knew that this was the conversation to have with Dom Beveridge. As a publisher, a researcher of technologies and the impact it has on multifamily housing operations, Dom is the right person to go to. His thoughts are never clouded by his own ideas. He goes after and seeks the truth, and he talks to a wide variety of operators to really get to the bottom of things. I hope this has been an eye-opening conversation for you as it was for me, realizing that sometimes the headlines are just that, they're headlines. Don't be fooled into following the crowds or doing something that's not right for you, for your community, or your management company. Thank you for joining us on this episode, this special investigative episode of Marketing Home, Marketing You. Be sure to follow Dom on all the links that I've shared in the blog and in the show notes. And it's been great visiting with you guys today. I'll see you next week.